Listener Production. Wall Street returns from a long weekend, but rising oil prices prove to be the fly in the ointment. And Aussie shares expected to open lower on Wednesday ahead of economic growth data. I'm Tom. And I'm Ryan. It's Wednesday, the 6th of September. Welcome to the Comsec Market Update. Ryan, US participants have returned from what marks almost the end of summer for them with the Labor Day holiday. Indeed, Tom. And we did see the Dow Jones index fall by 196 points or 0.6%, a bit of a sell-off there in the last half an hour or so. The S&P 500 index was down 0.4% and the tech-heavy Nasdaq index fell by 0.1%. Spy futures today are pointing down by 13 points or 0.2% here in Australia. Is it a gross oversimplification to say that these higher oil prices are now creating headwinds for stocks? Well, certainly a contributor. So what we saw overnight was the oil price, both the Brent and the WTI or the US NYMEX price, broadly hit 10-month highs. And the Brent crude price is now above 90 bucks a barrel. So of course- West, West Texas hit $88 a barrel. Uh, it pulled back. It finished with a gain of 1.3% at 86.70. But it's definitely exploring this higher, uh, these higher levels. And gee, close to $90 a barrel, that's not great. No, and it's all around these production cuts. So what we have seen overnight is confirmation that both Saudi Arabia and Russia will extend their voluntary supply cuts to the end of this year. So that was unexpected. We're expecting them to announce for October. And now they've actually said they're going to do it all the way through to December. And, of course, investors are also worried about potential shortages during the peak winter demand period. Exactly. So they're holding the markets to ransom, it seems like. They really orchestrated this in terms of their communication, managing expectations over the course of recent months. And what it does is it uh, not only puts a floor under oil prices, it seems to put a floor under uh, expectations when it comes to inflationary outcomes? Well, if you look at expectations now for the oil market, with those production cuts extended, it's anticipated that the market deficit will now be about 1.5 million barrels per day in the fourth quarter. So that has the potential to lift gasoline, diesel and petrol prices and fuel prices more broadly, and that would be inflationary. Indeed. So uh, but what did um, catch my eye last night where US stocks are concerned. You could have hedged yourself against the challenges in the energy space uh, with some medical marijuana names. So uh, what's happened in recent times is there's been communication coming out of uh, instrumentalities in the US about the potential for the uh, medicinal or marijuana moving from a Schedule 1 control to a Schedule 2 control, but there were some comments out of the White House uh, indicating the Biden administration's support for the legalisation of marijuana uh, for medical purposes at a federal level, and that lit a fire under marijuana stocks last night. So we saw canopy growth, for example, up by about 24%. But worth pointing out that these organisations have been beaten down in recent times, but uh, this stock is now up by about 70% uh, over the course of the uh, recent time. So they've really got to move on. They have, and they weren't the only ones that are going to move on last night. We saw shares of Airbnb lift 7.7% and Blackstone added 3.9% after announcement that their stocks would join the S&P 500 index and we did see certainly a pullback in that last 
10 to 20 minutes of US trade overnight. And where we did see particular weakness was in the airline space. So rising fuel prices aren't perceived to be good for airlines. It lifts their costs. And United Airlines shares fell over 2% after a temporary grounding of its aircraft nationwide in the US. We also saw shares of Polt Group and Lenar down by around 5% as investors took profits on the strongly performing home building sector, Tom. So uh, just quickly reflecting on what happened with bond yields under these circumstances with the concern about headline inflation at least potentially moving higher. We saw 10-year government bonds up by 8 basis points to 4 and a quarter percent two years up by 7 basis points to 4.94%. So they are decent moves higher, but also they're moving into a more rarefied space in terms of their recent highs. At a time when, you know, before we were seeing some encouraging signs, about those bond yields moving a little bit lower, so a little bit disappointing in that regard. Well, there was another factor last night, the post-Labor Day rush of bond issuance by US investment-grade rated companies at a renewed pressure on long-end US treasuries as some investors switched to buying top-rated corporate debt, offering higher yields than those on government bonds. So we have seen quite a significant issuance expected this month, anywhere between $100 billion and $150 billion US dollars, Tom. From time to time, that becomes quite the limiting factor, the discussion around issuance. It's uh, not the first time that we've spoken about that. Let's reflect on what happened where European markets were concerned. We saw a range of measures relating to manufacturing in Europe that undermined sentiment. Uh, and that was a contributing factor to declines for the leading indices. The stock 600 index down by a quarter of a percent. We saw losses in the order of a third of a percent for the French and German indices. The UK market down by around 0.2 of a percent. The moves higher that we saw for US interest rates were reflected to an extent for European bonds, not quite to the same uh, extent. But uh, a 10-year government bond in Germany, for example, up by about three basis points. You, On the one hand, Ryan had weaker measures of activity. Uh, and then on top of that, you had the falls in Asia, with, um, whose residue was reflected in early European trade as well. What we saw overnight, Tom, was concerns about global growth in both Europe and China. After yesterday, a private sector survey from Kaijin saw the Purchasing Manager Index in China for the services sector dropped to 51.8 in August from 54.1 in July, the lowest reading since December, when COVID-19 confined many consumers to their homes. And then overnight, we got the final Eurozone Services Purchasing Manager Index, which sank to 47.9 in August, signaling contraction from 50.9 in July. So those Chinese exposed sectors, such as luxury and construction materials, were among the top drags on Europe, falling 1.2% and 1% respectively. And of course, the other thing to note is that the Eurozone consumer inflation expectations for three years from now nudged higher in the latest European Central Bank survey, and that rose from 2.3% in June to 2.4% in July, indicating that there is inflationary and price pressure concerns from consumers. Indeed. So just to give you a sense of what happened where uh, manufacturing activity was concerned in Germany, it uh, fell to its lowest level since May of 2020. So... You know, you have a concern about interest rates going up later on in the week. You've got that weakening pulse out of China. We're back to that higher inflation, moderating growth. It's a stagflationary situation. Um, and that was really where the rubber hit the road, I would say, as far as uh, European sentiment was concerned.
Um, speaking of moderating growth, that's going to be a theme that we'll be talking about for the next 12 hours as far as the Australian picture is concerned for the fact that this morning at 11.30, the Bureau of Statistics will be releasing numbers on second quarter growth in the economy. Expectation is that we'll see uh, a monthly expansion of 0.4% and an annualised rate of growth for the economy at 1.8%, having moderated from 2.3% in the previous quarter. Yes, well, CBA economists are a little bit more optimistic, Tom. They're thinking that GDP increased by 0.5% in the June quarter. That was higher than our initial preliminary forecast of 0.3%, and it would be a step up from the March quarter 0.2% outcome, and that would take annual growth down to 1.9% from 2.3%, as you mentioned. So we expect private demand to be very weak during the quarter, so lift in interest rates will weigh on household consumption or consumer spending. We should see the savings rate ease a little bit as well as people eating to their savings to continue spending. And where we will see some support, though, is in the external sector. So we will see certainly export values or at least net trade lift or provide a positive contribution, as will the government sector at the same time. But, of course, weakness in the consumer and also a probably a fairly benign outcome around business investment will lead to a fairly modest outcome overall. So there's a lot of stuff there to unpack, obviously. Um, as a rule of thumb for civilians, what should they care about? Um, I'm tending to think that the risk here is that you uh, you see a number that undershoots uh, and that becomes troublesome for the market. You can actually sort of push the boat out a little bit on a higher number here and it's really not going to antagonise the discussion around interest rates given the very dovish statement that we saw from the RBA yesterday. Well, that's right. So the key focus today will be on consumer spending. It's the biggest part of the economy, biggest component of gross domestic product and we're expecting to see a flat outcome there. If we see a negative outcome there, that will push the overall number down. And, of course, there'll be growing concerns about the state of the Australian economy after 400 basis points worth of rate hikes. But the other standout will be dwelling investment. There's a big focus at the moment on what's happening with construction and building in the residential market, and we're expecting to see dwelling investment fall by 1.4 percentage points during the quarter as well. But broadly yesterday, Tom, as you mentioned we saw the last statement from Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe after seven years, and unsurprisingly, he kept interest rates unchanged for a third consecutive month at an 11-year high of 4.1%. The central bank maintained its hawkish bias, saying some further tightening may be required to ensure that inflation returns to target. That was pretty similar to what we heard in the previous month. A notable addition to the RBA statement was a warning about increased uncertainty around our biggest trading partner, China, also uncertainty around the household sector, particularly with interest rates rising and, and the lagged effects of that. Inflation remained front and centre of the RBA's comments. There's little room for complacency. And, of course, he's handing over the reins to Michelle Bullock and he bowed out in typically low-key style for Philip Lowe. There's little reaction in financial markets in, well, that depends on how you couch that. If you were long Aussie dollar yesterday afternoon, you'd probably be um, taking issue with that statement. I'd say it's back to around 63.8 US cents. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably argue that the Aussie dollar weakness is probably around the Kaijin 
Services well, yeah, index as it was, well. It was probably a, um, a coalition of several factors. Um, the manufacturing figures out of China, the strength of the US dollar as well, it's firmed up a little bit. But mm. um, all of those factors together combined to put pressure on the Aussie dollar, which is back to around 63.8 US cents, having looked quite comfortable above 64 US cents. Uh, Ryan, how important are these national accounts figures today? Um, it's probably more the employment figures tomorrow that we need to be looking at carefully. Well, yes, certainly today's national accounts numbers are backward-looking, so a lot has changed since the activity during the June quarter. We're now well into the September quarter, so they are backward-looking. That said, the outcome there will have some sort of impact on the outlook for the Reserve Bank, as we've discussed, but overall, it shouldn't be massively market-moving. Yesterday was, was the big event with the Reserve Bank. We've got Philip Lowe tomorrow speaking. He's providing his concluding remarks or closing remarks to his seven-year tenure and we'll be assessing that statement to see whether there's any further trajectory for interest rates going forward. In terms of our market today, Tom, apart from the national accounts, in company news, Novonics releases a trading update. Shares of Amcor, Helios, PointsBet, ProMedicus, Ramsey Healthcare, Seek and Sonic Healthcare all trade ex-dividend those shares. That's important because what we did see yesterday was an avalanche of, of companies trading ex-dividend and their shares were lower and that had a weight on the index. Also worth noting, tonight we've got the Bank of Canada and it's handing down its interest rate decision. It's expected, like the Reserve Bank, to be on hold, but like the Australian economy, very similar with its commodity focus, there's still a bit of an inflationary pulse there and there's still market expectations for a final 25 basis point rate hike in October. Indeed. The uh, Aussie dollar, as I said, is trading at 63.8 US cents. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Have a great day. We'll speak to you tomorrow. This podcast is prepared, approved and distributed in Australia by Commonwealth Securities Limited, ABN 60067254399, AFSL 238814. The information does not take into consideration your objectives, financial situation or needs. Consider the appropriateness of the information before acting and if necessary, seek appropriate professional advice. Listener.